Hi, friends. Welcome to episode two of Not Your Average Music Therapist. I am your host, Kim Best. (laughs) And I love being goofy and laughing at myself every single day because that's what makes life fun, right? (laughs) So if you don't like hearing me laugh at myself and be silly, maybe this is not the podcast for you. (laughs) Here I am. I'm laughing at myself continuously. Um, So welcome. What a weird time of life we are living, right? I mean, I think it's cliche for me to say that now because it's kind of just stating the obvious, but we are in the middle of this pandemic. Life is not the same. It's very difficult and we're all experiencing this grief. There's so much grief. It's like every, every, everything has changed. Um, If you still have your job, if you're still working right now, First of all, kudos to you. That's awesome. And second of all, I'm sure things have changed. You have a new protocol for cleaning your instruments and sanitizing everything and masking up and putting gloves and using hand sanitizer and using all this caution to stay away, far enough away from people that you don't get a virus if they have it and close enough to people so that you can still take care of them. And then for everyone else who does not have a job or whose job has been furloughed or decreased in hours or your contracts have not continued, I am here with you. That's happened to me. I'm trying to navigate it just like you are. And it's it's very weird. Um, thank God for unemployment because <laughs> I can be here with you like this on the podcast and we can be connecting even more online and talking about these very real things that are going on. So all of that to say, I am here with you. Life is totally different and it's really hard. Um... But what I want to talk about today, and (laughs) I have a couple different uh, title options for it, either be more like a Jersey girl, hashtag Jersey girl, or uh, Trader Joe's and Brazilian butt workouts. (laughs) So we'll see, we'll see which one makes the cut, but... I wanted to talk with you a little bit about um, standing up for uh, what's right in in your field and in your work and how we all have to do that because it helps move things forward. And if you think about it, your actions, whether or not to speak up, will impact every other music therapist that comes after you. And even every other music therapist that's currently doing a job, doing a music therapy job. So we'll start by saying this. It's better for me to speak up and get kicked out than for me to do nothing and change nothing. I truly believe that. And I feel like that's been um, a life motto of mine, maybe. (laughs) 
so if you don't know me, if you don't know too much about me, um, I am a hashtag Jersey girl. Now I have to say I'm a Jersey girl at heart because I don't live there anymore. But I was born and raised and grew up in New Jersey in the United States of America. And I've noticed over the years that there's something very unique about New Jersey, about being from New Jersey. First of all, let me just call this out before you say it's the armpit of America. It is not. It is a very, very, very beautiful place. And it's actually called the Garden State. And it's that reason because there are so many beautiful parks, beautiful mountainous areas, um, green greenery everywhere. And if you drive around the area where I grew up, which is uh, northern New Jersey, northeast New Jersey, it's like you just see trees everywhere, all around. And, and these trees are huge and beautiful and shade the houses and drop beautiful orange and yellow and red leaves during fall. Um, so New Jersey is a beautiful, beautiful state. And I don't want you to um, associate the industrialized parts of New Jersey for all of New Jersey. Um, And we do have the shore, you know, the show Jersey Shore. It's funny because I haven't even seen that show before, (laughs) but I've heard about it. Um, it, So, yes, there's the beach, the Jersey Shore, the boardwalk. um, But where I grew up was northeast fairly close to the George Washington Bridge, maybe 20 minutes away. Um, So I was about two or three hours from the shore. Yeah, so I wanted to tell you a little bit about being a Jersey girl because when I meet another person from New Jersey, it's like something clicks and we get each other. Um, I was working with this supervisor for a little bit of time and, you know, she never really told me too much about her life because it's just, you know, not the point of supervision for me to learn about the supervisor. But one day, I think I, I brought up, you know, you know, I, I say things like this because I'm from New Jersey, and <laughs> that's just how we are. And she's like, oh, I'm actually from New Jersey too. And I thought that was so cool. <laughs> I was like, oh, no wonder we work together so well. We're both Jersey girls. We get each other. We talk the same language. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about what that's like and maybe encourage you to be a little more like a Jersey girl. So being from New Jersey, um, we're right outside of New York City. There's a lot of different cultures represented in the state and... There's a lot of bustle. There's a lot of movement. There's some aggression. People have their their goal in mind and they are working towards it and they will not stop until they get there. Um, At the same time, people think sometimes that that people from New Jersey are disrespectful, but I, I think about it differently. I think about people from New Jersey saying it like it is, because that's what's true to their soul and they're not afraid to possibly offend someone else or they're not afraid to be perceived a certain way because what's more important is that they stand up for their own soul and they say what they truly are thinking. 
So I want to tell you a little bit about um, my my process of learning that people from New Jersey are different. For a couple of years, my husband and I lived in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's funny. I start the the story telling you about Minnesota, even though I'm talking about New Jersey. And this is why people in Minnesota are much, much different than people from New Jersey, from the East Coast. Minnesota is Midwest, basically the middle of the country. And there's a different uh, way of being. People are a little more passive. People will let you go first. People will not speak up. Um, There's a lot of passive aggression, which you can you'll find that anywhere. But as a group of people, people are very um, cautious and patient. And even so much so that it, it could be like a fault. For instance, my friends and I had a lot of hangouts where we had dinner together. And we'd have each other over to the house and we're all, you know, ready to eat. Everyone's really hungry. And then there's this moment where everyone was just standing around waiting for someone to go first. Like, we're all hungry, but no one, everyone wanted to be so extra um, polite and wanted to put everyone else's needs before their own, that no one got their food first. And it was like this battle of who's going to go first when it shouldn't have even been an issue to begin with and we should all just be eating by now. (laughs) So I remember so many times where I'd be like, okay, guys, I'm from New Jersey. I'm just going to eat first and you can all like follow me because I'm hungry. (laughs) And I don't think it really matters who, who gets their food first. I don't think that you waiting for me to get my food first is more polite than me getting my food first. Anyway, I had this experience back in New Jersey when I went to Trader Joe's after a few years living in Minnesota. So I told you all about this passive way of being and everyone puts your needs before their own and... um. So let's say I'm in a grocery store like Trader Joe's in Minnesota. Someone will wait and wait and wait and wait for me to take my time getting my box of pasta. Um, And even if I'm taking 15 minutes, they won't interrupt me and they won't say anything and they'll just wait and all their feelings about me taking my time and taking all this time will just sit within them and live under their skin while they're waiting. And it's like this resentment is building up for this person in Trader Joe's getting a box of pasta, trying to figure out what I want. Anyway, so my husband and I moved back east. We're in Rochester, New York now, but my family's still in New Jersey. So we're visiting my family. We go to Trader Joe's. And I remember this moment of being in an aisle, looking at pasta or whatever I was looking at, taking my time because I take forever making a decision. And then this person out of nowhere just walks up in front of me, says, oh, excuse me, 
takes their box of pasta and moves on. Now, I did not think that that was rude. I thought that this person was just doing what they needed to do and getting their food and not worrying about offending me because that person saying excuse me and getting the thing that they needed was not offensive. Definitely not offensive. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I, I bring this story up to to say, what do we think is more respectful? Being passive aggressive and waiting and stewing and having all these emotions and thoughts come up in your mind. Like, why is this girl taking so long to pick out her pasta? Or is it more respectful for you to just say, excuse me, do the thing you need to do and then leave the situation? And, you know, that's not, that's not offending me. But it's almost like we have this perception that if someone stands up for or like interrupts you or says, excuse me, or goes in front of you, that somehow they're going to be perceived as disrespectful when really all they're doing is doing the thing that they need to do and speaking up for what they need and saying what they need and not worrying about my feelings. I hope that makes sense. I wanted to bring this up because I I see this kind of thing in the music therapy world and I have run up against it time and time again where music therapists won't speak up for what they need and music therapists won't stand up or speak up for the field or music therapists won't stand up for our value as a whole And then we get into these circumstances where we are resentful or we are burnt out because we're not getting paid enough or because we're stuck in like a pretty crappy job when all we needed to do is just say, excuse me, music therapists need to be paid more. Excuse me, I need the box of pasta and then go along with their day. So I uh, worked at this long-term care facility for a couple of years. And it was at a time of life where I had taken a little bit of a break from being in the music therapy world because of some things that happened. And maybe I'll get into that in another episode. And I I took this job just because I wanted to be back doing the work. And I didn't yet have my own clients, but it was like, there was this longing for doing music therapy work again because it had been a while and I took this job but the pay was terrible so bad it just was so low and was probably one of if not the lowest paying jobs in the area I was not proud of taking the position and I think I had that kind of in the back of my head while I was working there and I just, I, I, I couldn't stand being in a job that undervalued me. It just ate at my soul. But while I was there, I did some digging and I wanted to see if maybe I could make change in the organization and I could advocate for better pay for music therapists 
And so, you know, first thing I did was I talked with a music therapist who had been there for years. And I said, you know, why do we make this small amount? And I remember in that conversation, they told me about, you know, well, we just have to climb the ladder and we have to have grace for the system. And, you know, you have to pay your dues. And I've heard that from so many people. You have to pay your dues. Take a take a low paying job for a little while until you work there long enough where your rate will increase. Which okay, there's there's some truth to that. If if you are so dedicated to an organization, over time your pay will increase. But I thought that the base level of what we were getting paid wasn't even fair. I remember talking with a supervisor of mine at the time. And she said, you know what, Kim, the music therapist before you should have should have spoken up and should have fought harder. And now this battle has fallen on your shoulders because you're here now and you're upset about this. And so now you feel like you have to do something about it. And I I tried. <laughs> I I fought for higher pay. I brought it up with with the different directors and supervisors that I had. Um, but it seemed like the company just shrugged it off. Like, well, everyone else who's been in your position has been okay with this low pay. And so you should be too. Felt like the company got so comfortable, so used to music therapists being paid this low amount that um, it didn't matter. It was like I was the outlier in the whole system. And it was just too bad. I I wish that the other music therapist has, had stood up um, before me and fought harder for change sooner. And that just didn't happen. And it got to a point where I was offered something and I fought for higher pay. And then somehow the offer was just taken off the table. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, it's not a secret that you're upset that I'm asking for more pay. But I wonder what would have happened if more of us music therapists fought for higher pay and stood up for this. You know, if if all of the music therapists in, in my area said, no, I can't take a job for under... 25 bucks an hour or under 20 bucks, like whatever it is, depending on um, employee versus contract rate, which that's another conversation. But if we all said, you know what, this is the standard, we should not go any lower than this, I think things would change. Then organizations would say, oh, there is no music therapist in this, in this area who's going to take a job for less than this number. So we need to meet the demand. You know, we need to meet this number so that we can have someone in this position. But I feel like that doesn't happen enough because there's a need for jobs. There's not enough jobs, I guess, to go around, which that's also another conversation that music therapists feel like, well, I just need a job. So I'm going to take this lower paying job. So let's talk about that then. Sometimes you have to take a job um, that's less than ideal. Sometimes we have to take a job for low 
pay. That's what I did at this um, long-term care facility. But when you're in that job, what really matters to you? And how are you going to be working in that position? What's going to happen? What, what are your goals for this position? So I remember around that same time, I interviewed a couple of hospice music therapists. I interviewed one music therapist who had been in his job for years and years and years and years and years and had a caseload of way too many people and was the only music therapist in his company and then, or in the organization. And then I interviewed this other music therapist in another hospice company who had a team of, um, I feel like it was like, five, six, seven music therapists under her. And they had some creative arts therapists doing art therapy. And I think they had some other therapies within the creative arts department. And when I surveyed those two different people and those two circumstances, I noticed that there was such a great difference. Here's one music therapist on one hand who had been content in his position and you know that is totally one way to go where you have a position you do your job and that's you know it's just a job that's it and um, you go on with your life but then on the other hand I saw this other music therapist whose goal the whole time was to build a program and see it expand and hire new music therapists and and create more jobs and more positions. And I thought, that is so cool. Like, out of either of the music therapists, I want to be that second one who grew the program and created more jobs and created more opportunities for other creative arts therapists and expanded their job from just them to now eight, 10 people within their department. So I suppose all of that to say what, what really matters to you in a job and who would you rather be? Would you rather just do your job and not worry about the future music therapists who come after you? Or are you thinking about the future of music therapy and the music therapists who will come after you and want to create a better situation for them. I suppose all of this to say, your actions do impact other music therapists. And I think we all have really unique positions to advocate for our field, to stand up for our worth and value, and make it a better place for the music therapists who come after us. And a part of my process within all of this is to go out on my own and start my own business and try to create new programs and network with organizations that don't have a music therapist to create new jobs. So I hope that learning a little bit about um, me as a Jersey girl and the attitude of a person from New Jersey, being bold, being honest, standing up for what is right, because it's, I think it's more important to stand up for what is right than just keep the peace.
and keep everyone happy. I think it's probably better to be like that person who just said, oh, excuse me, I'm going to get some pasta, instead of being that person who is waiting around for 15 minutes for me to make a move so that then they can make a move. It's kind of like the difference between a codependent person and a non-codependent person. But I want to be that person who will stand up for better pay for music therapists and get kicked out than stay in my job and have nothing happen and nothing move forward and have no opportunities open up for other music therapists beyond myself so that things can move forward in the world of music therapy. Um, So I thought about this Brazilian butt workout that I used to do. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny saying out loud. Um, I was engaged. I was getting ready to get married. I had to fit into my wedding dress. I also wanted to be comfortable in my own skin, especially because we took our honeymoon in um, Cancun, Mexico. And so for weeks and months leading up to our wedding day, I did this Brazilian butt workout and it was so fun. (laughs) It was like we were dancing, we were working out, we were having fun with music and we were targeting our butts. Yes. (laughs) But, um, but (laughs) something that I remember the, the person on this Brazilian butt workout say over and over and over again was don't settle for less we were working out, we were sweating, my body was aching and these muscles that I had never felt before in my butt and my legs and my um, abdomen, it were just hurting so bad. But I think the part of doing an exercise is to push yourself so that you feel a little bit of the hurt because that's what builds the muscle. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I currently do not really do any exercise. (laughs) a very stark contrast to when I was engaged. So anyway, he would say, don't settle for less. You can do this. Keep on going. Push yourself. Don't settle for less. And that's what I would say to all of you music therapists out there who are considering a job that is low pay or you are in a job that is undervaluing you as a music therapist. Don't settle for less. If we all didn't settle for less, we would all be making more money. And this would be a better situation for all of us. So music therapist, be like that Jersey girl and don't settle for less. Thank you so much for listening and being here on this podcast. And I am looking forward to talking with you again next time. Oh, and until next time, let's connect over Instagram. My Instagram name is at KimBestCreative, and I would just love to connect with you there. Send me a direct message. Let's start a conversation. I want to get to know you, and maybe sometime soon you can be on the podcast. (laughs) Oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. All right. Talk to you later.